wait is over. Is over. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. Hello, Binge Buster listeners. It's terrific Tony in the house. Uh, just joking. Man, I hope everybody out there is doing great and fantastic. Uh, I was under the weather last week, so unable to produce a podcast because I couldn't talk. But I am back this week, and uh, I'm going to have my co-host Chris with me here shortly. This week, I'm excited. We are going to be talking uh, 1984. Uh, 84 was definitely a great year. I know some of you young bucks out there uh, that didn't get to experience 84. I, I hate you missed it. But tonight, hopefully, Chris and I can shed some light uh, and let you see what you did miss in 1984. And right now, before I get started, I am going to take it back to 1984, and I'm going to bring on my co-host. I am talking about none other than Chris Rock and Roll Plano. Chris, what is going on? Oh, terrific, Tony. It's so great to be back. I know it's been two or three weeks since we last recorded, and I'm so excited about tonight's show. We're kicking it back to 1984. God, I don't want to give away my age, but I am. I was 13 years old, and it was a great year then, and uh, so much to talk about between music and professional wrestling. It was a great time for that era. Yeah, and what what's so crazy, Chris, is like I know it seems like 1984 was such like some decades ago, but on the same sense, Chris, sometimes I can close my eyes and it seems like it was just yesterday. Oh, absolutely. It was just like yesterday. And listen, I mean, some of the songs from that era, when you talk about, and even the wrestling matches, you know, partake or wrestling cards or shows, especially the music you still hear it on the radio today yeah and and, it, and it's <laughs> like certain stations you still hear it like yeah, it was yesterday yeah and the crazy thing about it is when you listen to the music it, it, to me it, it sounds the same like it it sounds new and fresh and it it, it you know it's, it's kind of like one of those things it's like great you know cheese and wine it gets better with age and uh Man, it just seems like you know everything. Everything that that was, that was once old is new again. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and Chris, like you know, a lot of the '80s stuff is coming back. And uh, I I know you know here lately, you know we we've, we've kind of been shut down and not been able to get out and do things. But the the Carolinas are opening. The world's opening back up. Not just the Carolinas, but the world's opening back up. And and like and like you know, I see yourself. You you you've been going out, and seeing a lot of these '80s tribute bands, and they're mm-hmm. they're really drawing the crowd. And I don't think they're drawing the crowd just because people's been shut down for a year. I think it's because people love that kind of music, and that 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 music just just it it, it puts you in a good mood. Absolutely, Tony. People, you know. They're drawn to that. They were, oh, God, I remember that when I was back in high school or college, or I remember that record back in the day, or I remember that band, or even even the band, even maybe just one or two members of that band draw people in, you know, as well. And it's, it's just a great time. 
And, you know, it's warming up here in the Carolinas that things are opening up. I think things are opening up a little bit quicker than maybe some people out there realize how fast they're opening up, especially if you're not into the nightlife or the weekend life kind of things or just in the social scene, which is okay. Yeah. But things are opening up. The big question is, and still the big question lingering, is how well staffed are these places? Yes, the open sign's on in the window, but what's it like once we get inside? And it's really still a little touch and go in that area. And I think it's going to be for the for also the next several months, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris, on that, because uh, definitely uh, a lot of places are opening back up. I know uh, last week, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago, because we didn't get to do a podcast last week because I was sick. Uh, no fans. I did not have covid uh, every year about this time, I end up getting a sinus infection, and uh, that's pretty much what happened to me last week. I woke up Sunday, and and I know I text you, Chris, and I said, hey, you know, are we good for the podcast? Went, yeah, we're good. And, uh, man, as the week went on, I got worse and worse, and by Tuesday, um, my, <laughs> man, I, man my, my voice sounded like Michael Hayes. I was de- It was scratching, and, uh, man, it didn't sound good, and uh, so I'm like, well, I better go to the doctor. I call my family physician and I'm like, Hey, I need to get an appointment. I got to come in. I got to get my steroids. I got to, got to get my nasal spray so I can breathe again and talk again. And they take down all my information. They say, okay, have you had your COVID shot? Yes. I've had both of my COVID shots. I'm good to go. I don't have COVID. I have a sinus infection. I need some medication. And the, the nurse on call says to me, um, Okay, you've had your COVID shot? Yes. All right. Well, this is what I need you to do. I'm going to need you to go to urgent care and not come here because anything upper respiratory we are not seeing. I'm like, wait a minute. You're my you're my what? doctor. You're my doctor. And so anyway, long story short, I ended up going to urgent care, paying the double um the, the, the double oh, the no. double copay because you know you, you've seen urgent care so insurance is going to charge you that 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 extra pay so not only did did uh, did they cost me double uh, but I went in and the doctor at the urgent care says um, what then what is a what's a family doctor good for anymore is because what are they doing are they turning everybody away at this point because they're they're afraid of COVID. Uh, they're doctors. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to take care of their patients. I'm like, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, that was that was the that that's how my week went. So and sure enough, wow. it was sinus infection. They gave me the steroids. They gave me the uh, the nasal spray, and now here <laughs> I am, and I'm back to normal, just about anyway. Um, but uh, but man, it's it's just crazy how the, how this COVID has changed the entire world. But I tell you, Chris, it does feel good to go out in public without that stupid mask on, see people smile, see people's faces, and uh, and just hopefully live life normal again. Absolutely, and I and I think people are starting to get there. Again, some are going to be quicker than others for whatever the reasons may be. The reasons are going to be just that. But um, you know, yes, the mask mandate is off here in North Carolina. I can't speak for all. 50 states and what the CDC guidelines are. Some states are faster than others and based on positivity rate and different things. But in North Carolina, Governor Roy Cooper, Dr. Mandy Cohen have pushed forward um, to open this state up aggressively. And 
I can even state the same for South Carolina as well. And, you know, now the big thing is we got to get people back to work. Um, that's, that's the biggest challenge now. Uh, you know, obviously we know people have been decimated by the COVID-19 pandemic from a financial standpoint and, and an employment standpoint, but everyone's hiring now. So, you know, now it's time to get back. It's time to do the right thing. If you are vaccinated it's, and it's time to get back to work, it's time to do the right thing and let's get this economy going. And it's going to benefit everyone in the long run at the end of the day, no matter what industry you're in. Some industries are much more ahead than others and some are lagging behind, but that's what keeps the economy turning. And, you know, it's, it, it's time. And, um, you know, we, we got to keep pushing forward and, uh, but that's kind of where we're at now, but it, we are seeing positive steps towards this. and It's just going to keep improving week after week after week. It's just going to take a little time. Yeah. But, uh, but like you say, Chris, we're definitely going to get there. Um, if we all work together and, uh, mm-hmm. and one thing I'm excited about that I'm, I'm seeing that we're opening back up, um, my, uh, my wrestling booking sheet has, <laughs> Is getting full. I'm getting uh, a lot of bookings, uh, you know, it, 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 during the summer months and the next few weeks, and I'm excited. And uh, on next week's podcast, I will uh, be uh, disclosing some of those bookings. And also, fans, to let you know, I've, I've had a lot of requests uh, asking, when are you guys going to have some more guests on the show? And uh, I am in the process now of getting those laid down and booked. And uh, I will tell you this, any of you uh, listeners out there, um, if you've been watching the uh, the uh, show on um, on A and E, WWE's Most Wanted Treasures. If uh, if uh, you had a chance to check that out, if you have not had a chance to check that out, uh, I highly recommend going and watching that. Uh, it's amazing, Chris. Um, uh, you know they mm-hmm. they uh, take take some of these WWE stars and they send them on the road to go out and locate some of their long lost uh, wrestling gear uh, and memorabilia and uh, and in the next few weeks uh, we are uh, I'm gonna have one of those um, uh, one 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 of the great people that is on that show uh, they are gonna be on the podcast and uh and they're they're going to be telling a lot of stories so it's going to be great so uh that that will be that guest will be on our show uh i believe around the end of june uh because we have to wait until that episode airs before uh, they can be on our show but they will be there i'm not telling them names yet but keep following the binge buster show uh and you'll find that out but i will tell you uh, it's, it's definitely the Holy grail of wrestling memorabilia. So, um, so that's, that's coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to have some live guests, uh, some wrestlers and maybe some musicians coming on the show, uh, during the month of June. So the month, the, I'm excited. The month, the month of June is going to be, it's going to be hot and exciting. Hopefully Chris and I stay healthy and we can have a weekly, a weekly show like we used to do. Um, and, uh, and just, uh, keep rocking it out. So, Without any further ado, let's get into this week's show as we are going to be talking 1984. The year is 1984, and there's a lot going on in the world and pop culture. The two biggest movies released in 84, Ghostbusters and Gremlins. And from July the 28th through August the 12th, it was a 1984 Summer Olympic Games held in my favorite town of Los Angeles, California, 
And now on the Binge Buster Show, we talk 1984. All right, Chris, we are here back here on this Binge Buster Show talking about 1984. Uh, you uh, mentioned early in the show uh, how you were mm-hmm. in 1984. In 1984, I was a romping, stomping 10 years old and uh, thought I knew everything in the world and I was so caught up in, in pop culture. But most importantly, I was caught up in professional wrestling. Um, and uh and was starting to get into music now now incidentally i you know on this podcast we always talk about music and wrestling and i know a lot of people question that like why why does he talk about wrestling and music at the same time it should be one one or the other on the show but you got to understand um it was professional wrestling that introduced me to rock and roll music you see because I remember as a kid uh, in school, this girl <laughs> who I'll remain nameless <laughs> told me once, she says, Tony, if you didn't watch wrestling, you wouldn't know any rock and roll music, would you? Because all the songs that were my favorite were songs that were played like with some wrestler's theme song. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But um, So she knew it too. That meant she, she was watching. <laughs> she, exactly. She knew. She knew. But, uh, but, but I thought that was kind of cool and, and I just thought about that. But as we talk... Uh, the eighties, eighties is, is definitely is Chris and I's favorite uh, decade. Uh, great music, great movies, great wrestling, great everything. Um, but I picked nineteen eighty four because nineteen eighty four was probably um, like I started watching wrestling in eighty three, but I really got into it and become an, a wrestling addict in nineteen eighty four. Um, and, uh, today on today's show uh, later on, um, after, after we, we, we talk about some music and we get into wrestling, um, I'm going to tell you the matches that hooked me and, uh, got me into, uh, being a wrestling fan and wanting to have a dream of being a wrestler and of course living out that dream. Um, so, uh, so I've, I've had a pretty, pretty cool life. I can't complain. <laughs> um, but Chris, we're going to start off, uh, my our top three songs of 1984 oh. um and 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 i know my top three songs is going to probably blow everybody away but i have a reason behind it uh i know uh, on this show a lot of a lot of my favorites it, it revolves around motley crew <laughs> but unfortunately on okay. this one on this one chris my top three favorite songs in 1984 does not include motley crew incidentally but these these three songs to me were like when you heard this song, it's 1984 in your mind. Like immediately you hear you hear these songs, it's mm-hmm. 1984. So I'm gonna start with number three, uh, my number three all time favorite song. And you're looking at MTV or we're watching MTV, and you hear this song, and all you can do is think about the the, the video. The the video from MTV pops in your head the minute you hear this song, and that song for me is ZZ Top's Legs. Because when you hear that oh, that God. that mm-hmm. that bass and that guitar, you know, it's like a machine. Right. And and when I when I hear that, all I can see is that is that um the red uh Ford ZZ Top custom car Ford Coupe coming down that road and those three hot girls jumping out of it with their legs and they get the girl and they, they dress her up and man, you know, they're off to the races. Um, so 
legs to me is 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 1984. Wow, that is a great great song for ZZ Top. But um, yeah, I mean that's when you know videos back then were, and even songs they were kind of you know you, you know stretching into the into the into the female scene and and guys and. <laughs> you know, putting images in your head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I mean, when I think of that song, that's all I could think about is legs. I mean, nothing else on a woman, but, but hot legs. Yeah. And it worked for ZZ Top, and hey, they still play it today. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the, probably, if not their biggest hit, one of their biggest hits. I got to say it's top three if it's not their biggest hit. Oh, um, but I, I, I got to say it's right there. Yeah. And, and Chris, a couple summers ago before COVID hit, I went and saw ZZ Top for the first time. And dude, when they started playing legs, that place, the, the arena popped. And I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. and, and in my mind, I'm thinking of that video. I'm like, yeah, this, this, you know, legs, legs was probably one of their biggest hits ever. And and it came out at a great time, even though the Eliminator album came out in '83. Legs, you know, was was a was a huge hit um, in 1984, and of course MTV was huge in 1984. So right. video was a big thing, and in this video, ZZ Top gave the American male his two favorite things: fast cars and fast women. You know, and it was it was epitome of of the '80s. Absolutely. It, it totally was. And, and when I think in 1984, there were just so many breakout hits, whether you were a rock and roll band, you were, you were pop, you were, um, you know, whatever. Really, those were kind of the two genres back then, um, you know, at least coming from an MTV angle. That's really what they were promoting. And they were promoting a lot of female musicians as well in 84. And, and, and you know, you pull up the top 100, you, you'll see a great representation of that. So there's just so many songs you can pull from, um, you know, even from me that I resonate with to try to pull a top three. It's like, Oh my God, which one's kind of hit the, hit the soul the hardest there is how I kind of looked at this list. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes it hard, um, to even, um, <laughs> to even pull from, uh, oh but God. definitely. So what is, what is your number three song, Chris? Man, you know what, Tony? I'm looking at this list, and it, God, I mean, I just got so many, and I'm, you know, I almost want to give a couple of accolades even after we maybe do this top three. But listen, I'm going to go one that hits home with me for number three. It's off my beaten path. I don't think you would ever think I would pick a song like this as long as you've known me. I'm going to go with Eyes Without a Face with Billy Idol. Oh, good one. Yes. That one hits home with me. I love that song. I love it today. I love the beat of it. It's, and I seen Billy Idol. I actually got to see him at here at, at um, Rock City Campground, um, Carolina Rebellion, uh, several years ago when he actually played Eyes Without Faith. It just hits home with me, that song. When, when you want something that hits me in the gut, that one hits home and it, it resonates with me amongst a lot of the pop songs that I see in, in front of me. But a great performer as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Billy Idol is is uh, he he's another one that he's older, but when you look at him perform, man, he's he it's it's like he's the same age. You know, he does he hadn't aged at all. Right. 
Um, and uh, nor and, has his hair. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And 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 he loves his hair so much. In one of his songs, he says, "Don't mess with my hair." <laughs> you know, in Rebel right. Yell, that's one of the lines in Rebel Yell. But uh, but yeah, good one, Chris. I like that. That's that's a very good song. Uh, now, my, thank you. All right, we pulled one out of the out of the vault there. Yeah, you pulled that one. I wasn't expecting that one. Now, my mm-hmm. number two, um, really probably would be my number one, but my number one has. I have to. I, I'll tell you the story behind it when I get there. But number two, this is that. This is that sound. When you hear that sound, man, it's like 1984. You're 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 ready just to rock and roll and have the the best time of your life. You have no worries. And that is Van Halen's jump. When when you hear that synthesizer, and then you hear Eddie come in with that guitar, man, you, you can't help but want to have a good time. Absolutely, uh, I'm gonna be honest. With you, that was my number one. So yeah, that's what I'm saying, <laughs> you stole man. My number one. Yeah, I stole that's it. Okay, sorry. Yeah. And, and 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 no, and, and even even the interlude into Jump with 1984 with with Eddie. Yes. On. The synthesizer, I mean, we were hearing things that you didn't hear before. And then after 1984 plays, you're kind of listening to this futuristic, you know, 40-second song. And then when it, when the first notes, notes hit to, to jump, it's like the song was made for MTV. That was the yes. song for Van Halen. And it was a song for David Lee Roth. I mean, you really saw him in that was my first experience with David Lee Roth in spandex, um, you, you know, aerobic type moves. Aerobics was in back then. Oh yeah. <laughs> with Olivia yeah. Newton, John and all this stuff. So he, it, it was the perfect time for it. And he was doing things, um, in front of the band, but that was their mega hit from MTV that really catapulted. And they've had some other ones hot for teacher and some other ones on, but that was, the video without a doubt. And I don't think anyone would, would doubt that at all. No, not at all. And, and the cool thing about, about that is, um, is I don't care who you are. Um, jump was the song that, that, the, to, to my opinion was ZZ was, I'm sorry, I keep saying ZZ top, but Van Halen's number one, uh, song to me. That 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 song will always stand the test of time, I believe. Oh yeah, I mean that's the song, and then that song, you know, it re- it resonated with with everyone across the board, with 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 women, with with men, with young kids. It, it just resonated. It was the commercial song that they needed, you know, amidst other hits they had way before that that's really what put them on the forefront of, of who Van Halen was and, and really promoted all four original members of the band as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Not just David Lee Roth up front. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it really uh, centered around all four members uh, and, and really just made it you know stand out. I think now, move, absolutely. Now moving on to my number. Well, I, uh, that was my number two. So yours, Chris, what, 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 what is your number two? Okay. Well, you know, my number one was, yeah, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll jump around on you here. So my number two, um, and I think this one, you probably 
think would be my top three. I got to go with Stevens, Hersey, and Rat with round and round. <laughs> yeah. Like number two, I mean, I, 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 I got to give it back to some of the glam metal and all that good stuff for the 80s. But, hey, that's a huge hit for Rat. And, um, you know, at that time, somewhat even of a, I want to say the word underground band, but I don't think they were way up at the top either. But, I mean, I just love the song and, when I hear that song, I mean, it's that, that's who they were. That would, that is their hit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. hundred percent. Um, now my number one, uh, is also from a movie, but this is the epitome of 1984. And I'm talking about Kenny Loggins footloose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? Wow. It, yeah. I mean, that was huge. I mean, the, the movie was you the whole thing. I mean, it was just, Huge. Huge. It was like a movement. And 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 if you go back uh and look at that soundtrack, almost every song on that soundtrack was a number one or number two on the pop charts. Yeah. I mean it was just it, huge. I could see I mean I keep I the, I even have the, the, the cover of the album in my head without even having to pull it up. Yeah. I mean, foot and 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 to go back and watch the movie. I mean, I, I still watch that movie regularly. I have it, you know, saved on my, in my on my on my iPad. But um, but uh, you know, there there's a lot of '80s movies, and we'll uh, get into those in later on in later podcasts. But uh, but man, Footloose, uh, that that movie was great. The soundtrack was great. I mean, it it, it, it was a win win scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it worked. And, um, it was really also a time where they were putting, you know, soundtrack to movies to, to really mega hit songs Yeah, that were off of soundtracks. And that, that was big money in, in the eighties. Um, <laughs> probably no bigger than like Miami vice and some other stuff there, but I mean, you're talking, you know, major money that was involved of, you know, streamlining movies to, to music without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely there. Um, but all right. Well, fans, that concludes our podcast this week on music of 1984. And now we're going to get into the reason all of our listeners have tuned in and asked to hear about wrestling. Um, and, and I'm sure Chris, that you and I are going to have probably a lot of the similar matches, uh, of this, but before I get into the matches, I want to mention uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine was tremendous in the 80s. Tremendous. You, it, it, I know me as a wrestler, I, I thought I made it when, when I opened up a Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine and saw my name in there. I'm like, okay, I made it now. I'm, I'm big time. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but, but Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine was huge in the 80s. Um, so, uh, what I like to do right now is go through and, and name, uh, or list the, uh, 1984, uh, PWI, uh, winners of the year, uh, starting off with pro wrestling illustrated wrestler of the year of 1984 was yours. Truly nature boy, Ric Flair, uh, the, the, uh, PWI tag team of the year. Uh, no surprise there. The Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. Uh, match of the year: Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich at the David Von Erich Memorial 
Parade of Champions. Uh, most popular wrestler of the year. Uh, I'm kind of surprised at this one, but Kerry Von Erich. Uh, mm. mo- most hated, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, I believe that. Wrestler of the year. Of course, we already mentioned Ric Flair. Uh, feud of the year, the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds. So, uh, taking a look at that PWI, and that right there tells you in 1984 what made Tony Binge become a wrestling fan. It was those matches, those wrestlers um, captivated me, and I'm like, I want to do that one day. I want to do that. I want to figure out how I can do that. Um, and uh, so 1984, uh, I know if you go on YouTube, there, there's, there's, a, there's a thing on there where if you look up NWA wrestling in 1984, it will give you all these, all these different lists, and it, underneath it, it says year of transition. Um, but if you go back and look at that, man, wrestling was starting to really explode uh, in 1984, and that gave us an idea of things to come because 1985 would have been the year that wrestling blew up mainstream because we got WrestleMania. But here in 1984, WWF, Vince McMahon, he's just starting to branch out. He hasn't quite got there yet. But uh, in 1984 is when one match takes place, and I'll get to that in a few minutes, but that one match set wrestling on fire, and uh, we'll get to that later on. But, Chris, my number three match of 1984, uh, Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes at Starcade 84. Tony, that could be number one, two, or three on the list. Yeah, it could be anywhere. I, I, I mean, Flair, Rhodes, Starcade, it kind of all rhymes, even though it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean what, what, you know what you're going to get. Right, you're going to get the best out of both wrestlers, no matter who has the title, no matter what the storyline is, um, and no matter what city it's in. And obviously, we know it was in, you know, the, the Southeast markets and the Carolinas. I mean, it was it was hot, and a lot of these promotions in '84, well, primarily WWF and NWA, they were on the cusp of what cable television of what was happening yeah and, um and, and they were broadcasting this to to a bigger audience um overall yeah and and that match incidentally fans it took place november 22nd thanksgiving night at the greensboro coliseum that was the million dollar challenge uh with smoking joe frazier as the uh, special guest referee um but uh man it was uh it was a tremendous match um and uh, it really lets you know that, hey, in the next few years, man, Dusty and Flair are going to be the main draw here in the Carolinas, and that that was, mm-hmm. definitely, that was definitely true. Now, Flair drew money with everybody he worked with, but the big payoff was when he and American Dream Dusty Rose got together, man, the place was always sold out. Absolutely. Now, and you know, you and you know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to get. No, no, no matter what. Yep. No questions asked. Now, what what is your number three match, Chris? Wow. You know what, Tony? I'm going to pull something out of here on you. I think I'm going to I'm going to pull a swerve on you here. I think this is one I don't think you have on your radar. You might have it on your radar, but I don't think you do. Okay. I'm going to go 
Midsummer 84. And this was a rivalry that was kind of went under the radar in 84, but was bloody, was a bloody rivalry in the WWF for a short stint of time. And I'm going to go Dr. D David Schultz against Hulk Hogan. Now that is deep. Yes. And there were plans for David Schultz. Yes. In the WWF. We all know we had a lot of out of, out of ring problems. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, um, but and I know we're going to talk about Hogan later on that. I already know, <laughs> but this was a rivalry in 84 that I don't know if it really hit its full potential of what could have been. Yeah, definitely not. I think, but I also think that Hulk Hogan and David Schultz, um, it would have been great, definitely great, but for the um, for the explosion, I guess is a better word of Hulkamania. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Doctor D. Dave, I don't think Doctor D. David right. Schultz would have would have done the job for Hogan that many times. You know, no. you know what I mean? Um, no, <laughs> not was, like, it was a heated yeah. rivalry. Yeah, not <laughs> like not like all the other ones that were just groomed to go in there and make Hogan look like a million dollars and lose. You know, there's a reason that you never seen Hulk Hogan and Jake the Snake Roberts against each other. Right. Because Jake was way over and McMahon didn't want anybody to outshine Hogan because Hogan was his he was his trophy horse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um that that was another reason you never saw Jake Roberts against uh Hulk Hogan. But um or Roddy Piper for that matter. Because Piper was a lot like David Schultz. Hey, I'm gonna go in there, but uh, I'm not doing the job, you know. And 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 to, in order to keep selling merchandise, Hogan had to win all the time, you know. So, um, but that right there, Chris would have would have sold out anywhere in the country for sure. I mean, it could have been a feud that could have went back and forth. You, it was a feud, and I was hooked on it. Even my parents or my mother, what my mother, <laughs> I keep talking about my mother, still living today, loved Dr. D. David Schultz. Loved him for whatever reason. Microphone skills, but just had that. My mom liked Lottie Piper as well. Loved the guys that knew how to push the buttons. Right, yeah. And, and, and we're talking about someone who is an, not a major wrestling fan, just kind of avid but would be pulled into the storyline and just was just drew to certain wrestlers. When I talk about mom, she loved Don Morocco, um, Snooka, Piper, David Schultz. There were just certain guys that would just hit those buttons and they just knew how to do it. Yeah. And that's what, that's what sold tickets. Yeah. All day long. When they came to town. Mm hmm. Very, very much so. Um, Dr. D, Dr. D. David Schultz, I, I saw a, a program about him a few weeks ago. Uh, it was done really well, and it even talked about, you know, when, when, when he slapped the, uh, the reporter. But, uh, mm-hmm. man, David was, uh, he was, he was a man's man for sure. 
Absolutely. So hopefully I may have threw a little curveball at you there. You did. I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that one at all. Now moving off the board a little bit. My number two would really should be number one, but I'm saving another one for number one. Um but the Von Eric Freebird feud, that feud right there, man, uh was in as intense as they come. Uh they pretty much could have took those matches and went all over the world. And sold out everywhere. But in 84, they were selling out Dallas, Texas. And any other little Texas town all around Dallas, uh, at the if you saw the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds, you knew that uh, it was going to be bloody. Uh, and and the crazy thing about the Von Erich Freebird feud was uh, it was almost like going to a sporting event. It was almost like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys versus, you know, the, uh, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta, team or or you know it, it, it was it was like that it was like the north against the south it wasn't like two teams against each other um because i, I can remember seeing the Freebirds on uh world-class tv and you could hear the fans chanting go home Freebirds, go home Freebirds." the people of dallas they didn't they didn't want them southern boys in in dallas texas they want them to go back to atlanta because the, the, right. the Freebirds had so much heat but then once they, you know, turned and went babyface, they were just as over as the Von Erichs were. Um, but I remember the in '84 the first time I saw the Von Erichs and Freebirds. Man, I am the first time I saw Michael Hayes in '84. I was immediately a Michael Hayes mark. I I, I learned to, I learned to do the Michael Hayes strut. Chris, I would get in. Was tra- he bobbing the head? He was bobbing dude, the head. Wasn't he? Dude, <laughs> let me it tell was you. I would get in trouble in elementary school for doing the Michael Hayes strut and moonwalk down mm-hmm. the hall. I'd be doing that strut and moonwalking back down the hall, and my teacher would be like, Tony, stop. And I'm like, what? I'm just doing the Michael Hayes strut and moonwalking. And all, all, but all, all my friends in my class were like, no, that's Michael Jackson. No, that's Michael Hayes. <laughs> no, no Michael Jackson here. This is Michael Hayes, baby. But – um. But but man, the Freebirds were so over, and uh, but the Von Erich Freebird feud, man, that thing lasted for. It, it was almost like the Jimmy Valiant Paul Jones feud. It lasted forever, and just when you thought mm-hmm. it was over, another layer, another layer, and another layer, and another layer, and uh, until finally in 1988, Michael Hayes leaves. Um, well, the Freebirds, they all they they left world class. Uh, went to group and went to Crockett Promotions in '87, and then mm-hmm. early '88, um, Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts came back to World Class, but Michael Hayes stayed in the NWA for a little while. He releases a an album off the streets, which by the way I do have a copy of. Um, but uh, and then he um, goes back to World Class and says, "Hey, I'm not here to wrestle. I'm here. I'm here to sing." And of course, by right. that time they had broken up the Freebirds a little bit, and now you see a whole new layer. You see Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts versus Kerry Von Eric and Michael Hayes, and that right there was something that I was like, "Wow, this is crazy to see this." And and I waited to see what was actually going to accumulate of that, uh, but and incidentally, World Class gets uh, bought out. And Michael Hayes goes back to Crockett Promotions and forms a new Freebird with Jimmy Jam Garvin, and uh, the rest is history. But um, oh. but the Von Erich Freebird feud will always go down as one of my favorites of all time. 
Oh, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, there's just, uh, I mean, you can't put words behind it. I mean, that was the storyline of the South. You had the bad, you had the boys from Texas, bad boys from what, Atlanta, Atlanta, GA, Georgia. And Atlanta, Atlanta, GA. No. They, and they lived at the last house on the block. <laughs> and, and no matter what was said, it was going to be on. It didn't matter what was said. It, it was just, it was like putting a, a, a match to gasoline. And that's just the way it was back then, but it worked and it worked for television and it also worked for the shows they did wherever they were in, in Texas and throughout the South, the storyline worked and, and the Freebirds had the look and we know the Von Erics had the look. So it just worked and it worked at a time in wrestling where again, they were also portraying the storyline to a bigger audience through cable television and even the magazines too back then, Tony, the magazines were still royal hot. Oh yeah. During, during that time too, on a, on a, on a, on a every 30 to 45 day basis when and, they were coming out. Yeah. And there wasn't nothing cooler than open up a, a, a personal Illustrated magazine and get the, the middle cover. And here's a picture of the free birds bleeding all over the place against the, against the Von Erics. Uh, I had so right. many of those. There were some life. shows that just there was no film on them, or just some shows that weren't filmed, and mm-hmm. you didn't have quick results back then. Nope, but uh, so it worked. But it definitely worked. It you great. know those kind of storylines. Now, what is your number two match, Chris? Wow, Tony, we're gonna oh boy, this one. Well, a storyline to a match that I saw live later on in 1984 in New Haven, Connecticut. And probably, um, I would say the most shocking segment on television versus against Hulk Hogan, when he accepted it to challenge Andre the giant in WrestleMania three, I, you probably think, you know where I'm going with this. I would have to say Roddy Roddy Piper cracking the coconut over Jimmy Snooker's head. Oh, man. In 1984. That was great stuff right there. And then the WWF putting that for several months, that was their main event on the house shows and the shows they did. Whether it was Snooker, Piper, you most of them were in a steel cage at that point. Yeah, and Pipe, oh. Piper knew how. Piper was the king of heat, brother. It, mm-hmm. Listen, if you wanted somebody to draw heat, Piper's the guy. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you a funny Roddy Piper story. So, uh, so Piper early on in his career, he would. A lot of people may may not remember this, but early on in Piper's career, he used to bring bring the bagpipes to the ring, and he would play them when he got in the ring. And he said one night he was in California, um, and a majority, a majority of the fans in attendance were Hispanic. And he comes out there. He's got his bagpipes. He says, "Hey, I know I've been doing things the wrong way, but I've I, I spent some time with with an Hispanic guy, and I'll, tonight what I want to do is I want to show pay homage to." the Latino community. And what I want to do right now is I want to play the Mexican national anthem. 
mm-hmm. and he tunes up his bagpipes, and everybody's expecting him to sing or to I'm sorry to play the Mexican national anthem, and instead Piper plays Cucularacha, which is a song about cockroaches, and he said oh, that once he did that. People were throwing everything in the ring at him, chairs, bottles, sticks, whatever they get their hands on, uh, almost caused a near riot there uh, by just playing that song. But he drew heat because he was going against the you know the Mexican culture. But Piper, right. and that right there, just, just, it's just a small story of the mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of stories that are out that Roddy Piper done. He was a king of heat, man. Um, I think he was stabbed like three or four times by, by marks. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he didn't know he, he, he was fearless and, uh, but, but the man knew how to draw money, knew how to draw money, and man. natural at it. Man, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, Tony, the W, I mean, that storyline that I could talk here for a couple of moments, you don't mind, was so no. hot. When I was watching Saturday morning wrestling and they said the upcoming card coming to New Haven, Connecticut, they run through the car, they go in the main event, 15-foot-high steel cage. They said Roddy Piper versus Jimmy Snuka. And I was like, oh, my God. My dad was down there Monday morning. He came, He went Monday morning at 10 a.m. when the box office opened up. I mean, it was, and, and we had seats right, we were right there, right where the wrestlers come out. We were maybe six, seven, eight rows up from the floor, right there at the shoot. I mean, and I'm going to tell you when, I mean, the place was deafening. I mean, oh, the sure. Piper's in the cage, Bob Orton's outside. And when Snooka comes out, I mean, and then, and then the thing was, Snooka was still at this time, I remember this, Tony. Snooka actually went to all four corners and he was shaking the cage. I said, look, he's going to jump off the cage tonight. Like he did in Madison square garden that he was checking and he was still working that angle Mm -hmm. that would, would you see? He did not, he was not jumping off the cage during this particular series of matches with Piper. Like he did, but the people still remember that. I mean, you know, and, 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 and when, and I, I mean, I'll never forget my parents. I mean, when Snooka Piper cracked him with something and when he came up full of blood, the whole place was just like beyond. And then, and then Orton somehow got in the cage and all of a sudden I want to say Rocky Johnson came down. Oh man. And it, Oh man, it was on. Yeah, it was on. And Johnson somehow got his hand on, on Orton boom, boom on the outside of the rain. I mean, it was just, it was just chaos, but that's, I mean, it was just pure pandemonium, <laughs> but that's what it was all about back then with no TV filming or nothing. And that's how they drew the crowds. And, uh, that angle was over that, that that's all they need. They didn't need Hogan there and the other guys. That was the, that was the money match. Yeah, I mean, sure. and they brought they brought it and they ran, they ran it for as long as they could, and it it, it worked, and really it kind of spilled somewhat into WrestleMania a little bit, but that was heated was over by then. But still, Snooker was involved in the WrestleMania one 
uh, main event, Bill Piper, and, or, and we're on the other side, obviously, with, uh, um, you, know, you know, Hogan and Mr. T, mm-hmm. obviously. But still, a lot of that spilled over from 84, you know, yeah, and, and it, it was a great angle at the end of the day. Oh yeah, one of the one of the absolute best, uh, I think, um, for sure. And it drew it drew a lot of money and a lot of heat too. Now, my number one match, um, I'm I, now I didn't pick this because it was a great match. I picked this because this was the match that ignited uh, Hulkamania. And ignited the the rest the rock and wrestling connection uh, that we would see in '85, but it took place January 23rd, 1984, Madison Square Garden. Chris uh, Hulk Hogan against the Iron Sheik. Uh, Hogan wins the WWF World Heavyweight Title right there in the Garden. Um, and when he done that, Chris Hulkamania was born. Hulkamania was born, and while, well, as some say, wrestling was changed forever. Um, the Iron Sheik, just some, I think just a little less than 30 days before that show, obviously defeated the then-champion Bob Backlund in the middle of the ring, which was a shock to everyone in the World Wrestling Federation that, you know, the Iron Sheik would come in and, and, and beat Bob Backlund in the middle of the ring, Arnold Skolin throwing the towel in. And then the Sheik has Hulk Hogan in the same building less than 30 days later. And, and Hogan comes in and, uh, you know, I mean, it was electrifying. It was uh, the perfect storm, as you could say. And, and for the Iron Sheik, uh, one of the shortest WWF title reigns. But as you and I, Tony, know, the Iron Sheik says today, the Hollywood blonde owes him one more, doesn't he? Yeah, yes, that's what he says. <laughs> to this day, he goes, that Hollywood blonde, yeah, <laughs> and the Sheik, <laughs> the Sheik might want one more crack at him, but, uh, um, uh, but, but hey, you know, God, yeah, it, it, it changed professional wrestling, um, you know, forever, and, and then, um, you know, Vince McMahon had Hogan uh, up top with the world title, um, and, and then things started falling into place, going into the WrestleManias, the different rivalries, um, you know. And, and, and for Sheik, still had a, a good career with the WWF beyond that. You know, oh, oh yeah, for most sure. guys <laughs> might powder out and that'd be the end of their career. You know, for Sheik, he hung on for a good number of years beyond that. Uh, both in the singles and, and, and with the tag team ranks with um, Nikolai Volkov. Yeah, I was about to uh, say. They actually had a very good run. Yeah, I was, about, I was about to say that. You know, in 85, mm-hmm. he and Nikolai become WWF World Tag Team Champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even after that, even when they dropped the belts to uh, Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham, they were still over, man. The, the sheet was still come out there and sing the national anthem and spit on America and uh man, he and then and then he was revamped in the nineties, teaming with Sergeant Slaughter of all people. Uh, uh yeah, I I don't think dropping the belt to Hogan hurt his career in any way whatsoever. And and Tony, if I may, and I'm sure the Sheik would appreciate this. What a great run he had even prior to that down here in the South. 
Oh, yeah. The, the Sheik had a long run here in, in the South with Georgia Championship Wrestling and other promotions. I mean, he was a he was a fair compadre down this way, way before his WWF days. Oh, yeah. And 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 wrestled the best and, and, and drew good money for, for the NWA and, and, and Crockett promotions. Yeah, and and then then he came back, you know, eighty nine. Uh, I remember, um, you know, in, in eighty nine, a lot of times, you know, you, you uh, didn't know who was coming, whatever. But I remember going down to Greensboro Coliseum because you know, my dad would bring me like every weekend. But um, I'm down there one night, and um, and he and he he wasn't even announced about being in the NWA. Um, but I'm I'm out there, and I'm trying to remember. Um, who who he worked, um, I believe it was Sting. Yeah, it was Sting. Sting was the NWA World Television Champion, and Sting comes out, and I'm like, okay, who's he gonna work? And then out comes the Iron Sheik, and I'm like, whoa, the Iron Sheik is in the, is in the NWA, um, and uh, and of course, uh, it was funny seeing the Sheik because he came out there and uh, he wasn't wearing those traditional. Iron Sheik pants that he wore in WWF, he was wearing these peach pink neon spandex trunks with a with a uh, with a camel mm-hmm. on them. Uh, but uh, but man, he came out there and and he and Sting had a good match and they and they uh, popped the Greensboro Coliseum and uh, it was a good time and uh, but yeah, man, definitely the the Sheik definitely had a great career and if you want to have a great laugh, if you want to be entertained. Go on uh, YouTube and pull up an Iron Sheik shoot video and watch it, and just it will it will blow your mind. It will blow you away. I, I don't know, Sheik. I'm gonna tell you right now. You know, and, and obviously Tony, we 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 been around the Sheik. I mean, one of the toughest guys ever in the business. Oh, bar I don't him. know if anyone will want to go one on one in a shoot match with him. And strong too. Uh, it, <laughs> strong as an ox. Strong upper chest, strong shoulders, strong thighs. He was strong because of that amateur wrestling background yeah. that he had. And he was just strong in so many ways. You know, he he could put some guys into next week real quick if he really, if, 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 you know, if toe, push came to shove. Yeah. I don't know. I, if there was going to be a backroom brawl, I think I'd want to be standing behind the Iron Sheik. Definitely not. And <laughs> and speaking of the Iron Sheik and speaking of uh, I was talking earlier about that um about that television show where the wrestlers go out and they find mm-hmm. the lost treasures. Um on one of the episodes I watched, they went to Bob Backlund's house and Chris Bob mm-hmm. had a set of clubs that was owned by the Iron Sheik, and he donated it back to WWE for them to put in their uh, museum. So, um, really cool stuff. Um, and uh, man, and by even Bob Backlund said, you have to be extremely strong to be able to do these clubs. And just mm-hmm. very few people were able to do that. Uh, Sheik was one of them, and Bob Backlund was the other. Uh, so, uh, man, amazing, amazing stuff. Well. Here, here's the reason why, you know, I, I really think Backlund was able to do those clubs because of the amateur background. He had the same, he had the amateur background like she did. Yeah, exactly. And they, they, those guys, those guys in the amateur wrestling business, they have muscles where people don't have muscles. Oh yeah. 
not only that, muscles, but, but and they're just strong. That and and if you um and in the words of the great uh, Gorilla Monsoon, and they got intestinal fortitude. <laughs> but yes, they do. But and seriously, though, yes, they do. They're they're strong as they can be. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was cool seeing those clubs. You know that that you know they they were definitely still around and not you know in a trash can and, somewhere. And, and and you and I, we talked to some circles. They are bringing the sheik in and throwing those clubs maybe one more time. We'll yeah. have to see how that all plays. You never know. Out. You never know. You might see the sheik. <laughs> he on the might bench challenge bench. you, terrific Tony. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> oh too God. much for me right there, brother man. Mm. <laughs> well, fans, we uh, hope that you definitely enjoyed this week's show. I hope we enlightened you on 1984 uh music and uh wrestling uh next week is going to be a really good show as we are going to get into 1985 uh and touch on some of the big matches of 1985 and uh so it's going to be exciting i hope everyone has a great week uh and uh chris we got memorial day coming up monday uh and uh that that's gonna be a good time and and uh who knows fans uh next week's podcast it might be a live one who knows uh we'll have to you just have to tune in and find out in the meantime go on our facebook page and like it uh if you are a wrestler that listens to this podcast and you want to be a guest on the show hit us up on the facebook page and uh, we will put it together and make it happen chris you got anything else before we go off the air today Tony, this has been a great show. Thank you for having me on here. Boy, you really <laughs> had my wheels turning here back and, and reminiscing about, you know, the, the glory days. And 1984 was a great time to be not only a wrestling fan, but a music fan. And uh, this has been great. And, uh, you, know, you know, have a great Memorial Day weekend. I, I can't believe we're moving into June here so quickly. And uh, we're moving along. And uh, I'm just so tickled to be a part of this program. And and, and the show and, and to be able to talk about great times of what was really a great part of, of American culture back in the eighties, man, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, it's just going to get better as the weeks go by, uh, for Chris, I am Tony binge. We will see you next week here on the binge buster show. Sure to share the podcast on your favorite social media channels. Thank you for listening to The Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.